show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Experience, business, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Consumer first health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status. No. Yeah, this is the healthcare rep. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson from Shift Forward Health, and here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about Uber's new healthcare offerings. What do you need to know about their new pickup services, and how do we make more room for everyone who's contributing to a healthier America? I'll talk about that. Then Matt Dixon returns to share seven mistakes to avoid when leveraging AI in your customer journey. Matt shares keys to operationalizing AI in consumer-facing healthcare encounters and how to avoid the pitfalls along the way. There's a lot to talk about, so it's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the Week. Uber Health is inching towards a healthier society. Forbes described their recent announcement. Uber's health business is adding grocery and over-the-counter product delivery as its health insurer clients cover more healthcare services and items to address social determinants of health. According to the article, health insurers and medical care providers that work with Uber Health will soon be able to send customized healthy food, groceries, and OTC orders directly to patient homes nationwide. Uber Health already provides same-day prescription delivery and access to transportation to ensure health plan enrollees and patients get to their doctor's offices and other medical appointments. Since 2018, Uber has expanded its relationships with health insurers, healthcare provider systems, and companies that work with drugstore chains on prescription delivery. That has contributed to 75% gross bookings growth for the business unit from the first quarter of 2022 to the first quarter of 2023. Uber said it now has a base of more than 3,000 healthcare customers that include hospitals, academic medical centers, health insurers, and government health programs. In our continual quest for a revolutionary new healthcare system, we need to make room for everyone who is contributing to a healthier America. Yes, including the work that comes from rideshare services. This revolutionary way of encountering healthcare isn't so much a single system as it is a network of choices that more meaningfully meet the needs and expectations of everyday people. And one of the pillars of such a network is that not all care can or should come from traditional providers. On one hand, there's the reality that we can rail against the shortcomings of common healthcare encounters all we want and demand changes in the hospital, provider, payer-centric business systems that have been in place for decades. But it's like the phrase goes, you might hate gravity, but gravity doesn't care. On the other hand, there's another saying, snow melts at the edges. You can disrupt the system over time. So I applaud Uber for their continual work over the years to see the value in partnering with provider organizations to drive real change. It's time to make room for everyone who's contributing to a healthier America. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. All right. 
right, everyone, let's get back into the flow. Give it up again for Matt Dixon. Matt's the COO of Eclipse Telecommunications. They're one of the nation's leading telecommunications consulting firms. Matt, welcome back to the Healthcare App. Hey, it's great to be here, Jared. Thanks for having me on again. Looking forward to the conversation today. I will continue to put it out there into the universe that it's an exclusive club to be a return guest. So, you know, you must be doing something <laughs> right out there. But, uh, you know, one of those things may or may not be your taste in uh, an old school hip hop. I know <laughs> it's one of those funny things that, that's like it just comes up sometimes when we see each other in person and it's like, hey, you remember this and this? And and uh, I, I don't know uh, if you're if, you know, conversations with people ever get back to some of those those original hip hop artists that you were listening to back in the day. Maybe it's just because uh, any music conversation with my own kids as you know they're teenagers now so you know i try to impress them sometimes with my you know with with my music knowledge and it doesn't usually work <laughs> but <laughs> i'm like come on this is the cool stuff you know this is what all the cool kids were listening to and they just they you, still you know what you got to tell them jared and this is how i end any argument with my son who's graduating high school this year getting ready to go to college i said i grew up in the golden era of hip-hop the argument's over. They don't call your era the golden era of hip hop. <laughs> Thanks for letting me ramble there a little bit. Anyway, let's get into this a little bit. Let's start off with, for those who may not have caught you last time on here, would, would you fill in your bio a little bit? Can you tell us what would you like our listeners to know about you and your background? Yeah, absolutely. So at Eclipse, again, to your point, our focus is on helping marry technology solutions around communication, whether that's internal or external communication. But prior to that, I worked at a company called Stericycle Communication Solutions. So I led that enterprise or practice for right around the last three years. And then I was also honored to be named a Healthcare Communicator of the Year in 2020. So bringing some of that experience to what I'm doing here more on the consumer side and certainly bringing some of that consumer experience back to the patient experience as well. Gotta love it. Well, I also ask people a lot lately, if there's a piece of career advice that has stuck with them, that has either guided them a little bit on their own journeys or has just, yeah, they've, they've kept it with them. They've thought about it a lot. Is there anything that comes to mind that as you look back on your career, you've had quite a few highlights. Uh, you've had some great successes in the past. Anything that comes to mind in terms of a piece of career advice that has just stuck with you or guided you along the way? You know, I'll say this, and it's probably counter to what a lot of people say or think, but I say make no plans. I graduated from college with a degree in political science. I was convinced I was going to be an attorney at one point in my life. I've stayed curious throughout my career, stayed open to learning new things, and it's really allowed me to create kind of a holistic view from technology, strategy, operationally. So for me, it's always been be open to the possibilities. I think people tend to create an idea in their head of, I'm going to be X someday. I'm going to be the VP, the CTO, the CIO, chief marketing officer, whatever the case may be. And they close themselves off to the possibilities of exploring other options and learning new things. I think that's the the key, right? Stay curious at all times. That's great. And uh, I love the fact that it allows you some flexibility when the world around you changes a little bit, that that plan might change. And not only is that not the end of the world, but that might be 
a better plan than what you're planning on. So super cool. At a minimum, it gives you a holistic view of problems as well, right? Is being able to see the problems through the eyes of others and how they've experienced them, what matters to them and what expertise they bring. I think it makes it easier to create solutions that are more optimal. You're used to bringing together people who think a little bit differently, have a little bit different of disciplines to solve for those big, hairy problems. So even if you don't go in a different direction, just getting that experience of working with those different kind of people who think differently than you, who bring a different background than you, I think just makes you a more effective leader overall. So true. It's so true. And it really doesn't matter what background you have is what I've learned. It doesn't matter what field. Like These things are universal. And they're worth repeating, especially I felt like I got a lot of guidance during the first, like early in the career, first few years. And then it almost dropped down to like zero. I mean, there were leadership training programs within the organizations where I was working. There were some professional development, but there wasn't like active guidance. Like there wasn't a lot of mentoring after you get to a certain point, especially if you were in an innovation role of any kind. If you were kind of helping lead the charge or explore something new and, or learn something, it was hard to be mentored on that. At least, at least the path that I followed. So it's great to just be reminded of some of these things and realize that, like, not only, I don't know, people think about it in terms of like success or failures in the careers too much instead of, hey, what's that next step and where could it lead me? And is that a place worth going? So, anyway, super great advice there. Well, Matt, for our conversation today, we have a few different places we can focus and they all kind of have to do with where. AI fits in your customer journey. And to that point, I know you just recently published an article on Forbes. It's titled, Seven Mistakes to Avoid When Leveraging AI in Your Customer Journey. And I think the setup for this is interesting. Maybe it's even worth just providing a little context in terms of a conversation you and I were just having about patient experience versus consumer experience in healthcare and where that has to lead. Like when you start talking about a customer journey, it starts in this place of understanding what are the ramifications if you're not focusing on this and if you don't understand the patient experience part versus the rest of the parts. Uh, could you provide that, that context and then maybe we can go through those seven mistakes and, and, and go through them each one by one? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one of the key things that healthcare leaders need to keep in mind as they try to bring some of the lessons from the best of what we're seeing in the consumer space, right? The Amazons of the world. There's one key difference you always have to have in the, I was going to say the back of your mind, but it may be at the forefront. In healthcare, and this I think is the differentiation between patient and consumer experience, in healthcare, there are right and wrong answers, and there's consequences to the wrong answers. So if I, you know, if you look at an Amazon experience, for example, you know, I ordered a, a pair of pants from them or a pair of shorts from them, let's say. If I pick the wrong size, what's the consequence, right? I, I have to go to Kohl's to return it. And it's a little bit of inconvenience for me. But there's no real consequence to a bad decision from a consumer experience standpoint for the most part. In healthcare, it's a much different story. If you schedule the wrong type of appointment, maybe your healthcare doesn't cover it. If you miss a diagnostic test that you need or get the wrong kind of diagnostic test, maybe you miss or delay somebody discovering an issue or a problem you're having. So we need to create an experience for patients that while is frictionless 
to a large extent does have the appropriate amount of friction up front to guide them in the right direction and make sure they're making appropriate decisions. So I'd say that's kind of the core difference to me. Gotcha. Well, that makes sense then in terms of some of these things that you highlight in the article. Maybe we can just go through them one by one. Uh, This first one is definitely of interest to me, I guess, coming from a marketing background. (laughs) But the number one mistake you say here is not considering how automation fits with your brand. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, to to all the marketing folks out there, I don't know if you can smash the like button 10 times. Hopefully you will after you hear this. The reality is marketing needs to be brought to the forefront when AI is implemented. And the primary reason for that is you have a brand, you have a brand voice. Your brand is empathetic, it's authoritative, whatever the case may be, right? However you view your brand, however you want people to interact with your patients, Nobody's thinking about that, though, when they're doing things like bringing an AI around, let's say, chatbots, for example. Even something as simple as conceptually, how is your chatbot going to greet somebody? How does your chatbot react to when it can't answer a question or it's having problems? Is it playful? Is it authoritative? Is it empathetic? Is it motherly? Like, Whatever that may be for you, the reality is you have to bake that into that AI experience. And, uh, you know, for the most part, people are not bringing in marketing to let them lend their voice to the process of building out that tool set and really ensuring that their brand is lived not only by the people that work there, but by these digital humans we're unleashing on patients and letting them really drive some of that experience. I'll tell you what, you know, a few years ago, I don't know if I would have been thinking of the tone of voice of a chatbot as, you know, something I'd be looking into or, you know, or responsible for. And yet that's where we're at. <laughs> the, uh, being able to understand how, how anything comes across to the user, the consumer. So I'm, I'm totally there with you. And I do think we'll hear more about that as we go. Okay, so number two is not knowing the locations of the exit rows. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to let your AI fly, it's just like getting on a plane. You better know where the exit rows are. So what do I mean by that? The reality is that we need to be looking at tools and leveraging technology in a way that we're constantly evaluating our chance of success in a transaction consistently throughout the interaction. So all too often what happens is you get put in AI jail and there's no way out, right? You're just keeping going down this rabbit hole. You can tell as a consumer or a patient that you're not getting any closer to an end result. You're going in circles, you're spiraling, you're not getting what you need, you're getting frustrated. You know, you really have to, throughout that interaction, be asking yourself, Am I really going to have success here? And if not, it's time for me to raise my hand as the chat bot or whatever you've got kind of guiding that interaction. And that could be voice assistance, whatever the case may be, and say, hey, I'm struggling a little bit here. I'm going to get you to a human, right? I'm going to get you to somebody that can help you. But very few people build that in. Once you're kind of in that AI jail, that AI workflow, you are stuck there until what do most of us do? We hang up. And we either try to reset the whole experience and try again and try to remember what we selected last time. So we select a little bit differently this time. Or we just, I'm ashamed to admit, I've done this more than I should have ever done in my life. 
you start yelling operator, our agent at the phone or typing into the chat and desperately trying to get a person because you're not getting what you need out of the, the AI driven solution. Stay tuned for more provocative thinking after the break. Consumer demands, disruptive technologies, and AI are shaping healthcare for years to come. On the Hello Healthcare podcast, we dive deep on these issues with leaders who are driving change. These stories will inspire you to create and demand a better future in healthcare. Learn more at hellohealthcare.com. And now, back to the show. It's like you just described my last uh, handful of interactions with my cell phone carrier, the yelling at it <laughs> to uh, talk to a human. Totally hear that. That's important. All right. Number three is not locating the circuit breakers. What about that one? Yeah. So the other thing we have to ask ourselves is, you know, we're evaluating as we go through this process or we should be going through the process of evaluating our chances of success. We need to make a core evaluation up front which is just because something is automated doesn't mean that automation has to be used in every instance. So this is where you need to start to have contextual awareness as well. Is there a specific impediment from the customer's history that means solving the problem through AR automation has a low probability of success, for example? So maybe you've got some self-scheduling solutions, right? Where somebody can schedule their appointment either online or now more and more we're seeing it through voice assistant or chat or whatever the case may be. But if there's something in their medical history that adds complexity to that, where you've got to ask some additional questions, for example, to ensure that they get the right kind of, let's say, CT scan, for example, right? A lot of times what happens is just because that booking flow has been automated, people are just thrown into it 100% of the time where we need to be, again, evaluating up front whether it's appropriate. And I'll give you an example from my own, and I'm going to pull from the consumer side. You know, I had some problems with Comcast slash Xfinity. I'm sure nobody listening has ever had a problem with Comcast or Xfinity (laughs) with some connectivity at a, a home I moved into about three years ago. I called in and had to call in six different times. They kept coming to my house and they had to replace stuff outside of my house. And they kept kind of going upstream, right? Oh, now we got to go to this central office and replace this and this and this and this. But every single time I called, six calls, by the way, and I think in the period of a week, every single time I called, I got put in the AI flow and it was, we're going to send you a signal to reset your modem and we won't let you talk to a human until that's done And then you can call back after we've successfully reset your modem to to continue your interaction. It's obvious that that was not going to fix my problem, right? That bringing in the context of, hey, this is the sixth time this guy's called. We had to replace all this equipment outside of his home and upstream. Maybe we shouldn't throw him through the AI assistant. That's what we mean when we talk about knowing what those circuit breakers look like. Gotcha. And I think everyone is nodding their head at having a similar experience. (laughs) So uh, for sure, fill in the blank cable provider right there. (laughs) Okay, number four, not considering agent enablement before automation. Yeah, so there's a whole slew of tools. And, you know, our philosophy, Eclipse, is we believe the most appropriate use of AI today is making humans more human. So what do we mean by that? We mean giving them the support tools 
that allow those soft skills to really shine, right? Again, I've run a, a large contact center, more than one in my career in history. And one of the things, if you've ever run a contact center, you'll hear a lot is hire the smile, train the skill. It's hard for people to quote unquote smile on the phone, right? And show empathy when you've given them systems that are frustrating for them to use and are difficult for them to navigate. The reality is if you build AI tools or you leverage AI tools that make your agents more effective, I think right now you'll get more pop than trying to automate things. I can speak to and highlight a recent Forrester report that talks to the impact of what agent enablement tools can do. So there's kind of three key metrics they focused on that move the needle as far as getting consumers to spend more money than you. And it's one was answering all the customer's questions. Two was increasing first call resolution, which by the way, most contact centers track today. I'd say the first one, answering all questions, that's not something a lot do track today. And the third is reps that are empowered. These are reps that can resolve problems without interaction from a supervisor or a callback or a hold, a long hold, right? So we can get you the information you need. We can do it quickly and we can do it on the first call. If you can move the needle on those three things, you can expect up to $2,000 more revenue per customer. But the other thing that that moves the needle on that's critical as well is three key metrics called advocacy, trust, and enrichment. So advocacy is the intention to recommend your brand to others. I think trust is relatively self-explanatory. And enrichment is willingness to purchase more from your brand. When you change those three metrics and make your agents more effective, we can see ridiculous upticks in those other three ancillary metrics, the advocacy, trust, and enrichment. And we're talking about anywhere between 5 and 10 percentage point increases, not percent increase. We're talking about going from 10 to 20, right? Not from 10 to 11. So really you can treat consumers that are willing to spend more than you and more importantly are really evangelists for your brand simply by giving your agents more effective tools that allow them again to answer all the customer's questions, do it on the first call, and are empowered in a way that they can do that effectively and quickly without having to resort to a supervisor or a long hold to get assistance. Uh, I love it. I mean, you're connecting a lot of dots here, which I think is, is very helpful. And that just leads me to, uh, we'll just go right on to number five here, because again, this is another thing that I think you're, you're helping us connect a lot of the the speed bumps that have happened along the way. So uh, number five, starting from the top and not the bottom. Yeah, again, the approach here often is what can we automate? So you're taking a top-down view of the world, right? You're saying, hey, let's look at everything we do and figure out what we can automate. You know, our argument is you'll get a much quicker return by focusing on building bottom-up approach to that, which is how do you make your agents more effective, are those that are servicing your customers, however you think of those, and build better and better and better in tools for them. One, you'll get that immediate uptick we just talked about. But two, eventually what will happen is you'll find as you build out those tools, at some point you'll reach this natural conclusion where it's like, hey, if we just do this one more thing, we could just automate the totality of that process. 
So that's really why we advocate for more of a bottoms up approach is you will naturally discover the things that are most right for automation. And it won't be based on theory. It'll be based on practice. And you'll get a ton of uplift early on just by going through that bottoms up approach. Uh, I love that. Makes a lot of sense, too. Uh, it's almost so simple. It's like, yeah, why why aren't we doing this yet? Very cool. All right. A couple more here. Number six, not thinking about all the use cases. Again, the focus there is there's lots of ways to use AI. Many healthcare systems are companies, as they think about it, are really focused on things like chat GPT and automation. What they're not thinking about, especially in highly complex or compliant industries like healthcare, are other uses for AI that you know, we're really shining a light on. And one of those is the ability to do 100% QA and QM of all your customer interactions, right? So quality uh, assurance and quality management. Historically, at least in the contact center space, you might be doing three to 5% of your interactions maybe automated. Today, now we can get to 100% automation looking at each of those, scoring them, and really scoring them for critical things around compliance. And I'm not just talking about HIPAA compliance here either, or you know PII or PHI. You can be looking for compliance around things like, hey, when you scheduled that appointment, it was really important that you ask them if they need to lift assistance, for example, right? When you're doing uh, imaging diagnostic. But the machine didn't hear you ask that, right? And the reason that's important is, you know, that person can show up to that appointment and without pre-planning for lift assistance, you may not be able to successfully complete that appointment. So it gives you an, the ability to remediate issues prior to them becoming a problem, right? Reaching back out to that person and saying, hey, you know, we just scheduled an appointment with you, but we noticed when we did that, we did, forgot to ask you an important question. Do you need any lift assistance? Yes or no, right? And getting that resolved prior to the appointment. And the reality is that's been out of reach until recently with these AI tools. So protocol compliance as well is another area where you can use AI to really kind of up your game here. It is. I mean, these are all things that I think, especially when you think about them collectively, are going to lead us to a lot better place. So we'll, we'll put the, the final one in here. Number seven that you included in your article here was not planning for care and feeding. Tell us about that one. Yeah, I'll tell you how big of a problem that is. So the, the idea here is that, you know, these tools get better over time, right? We teach them, they learn, they get better, they grow, they do more things. But many people aren't thinking about what that looks like in their selection process, right? What, what does that mean? How does it get taught? Do I have to go back to my vendor to teach it every time? Do I have really good support tools that allow for me to teach it over time and to extend its reach? So really things that used to be secondary, I think, in your evaluation of tools, right? You know, primarily we look at the function of the tool. How well does it do its given function? More and more, it's becoming important that you look at secondary things like how easy it is to teach and train, how easy it is to change, how quickly can I do that? What is the skill set required of the people using those tools to do that? Are really things that you need to bake in much earlier in your evaluation process and plan for. And again, I'll tell you the impact of this. So Contact Center Week went out and did a survey and asked companies that had brought in AI type tools so Contact Center Week, if you're in the Contact Center ecosystem, it's a name you know well, right? It's kind of the leading authority out there. And they asked them, 
hey, when you thought about a purchase that did not work as planned, a technology purchase, which of the following factors most hurt your success? The number one answer was focused on price and didn't consider long-term costs. And long-term costs are going to be much bigger with AI tools than what we've seen historically with you know traditional solutions, right? Because you're always trying to teach them, you're always trying to train them, you're always trying to improve them. You know, AI is never set it and forget it. And knowing what those tools look like, knowing what the skill set you need up front and planning for those are, is, is a critical step in the process. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you, you, you just laid us out a roadmap and a way to get there. I'm sure organizations come into this from different viewpoints. I, I, I'll give you a final word here in terms of if there's a common starting point or entry point if there are any of these steps that tend to make more sense as like a low-hanging fruit or just, a, a again, an entry point, like a place to get started here for organizations that are now seeing the importance of it, you've kind of connected the dots for them, and now they're like, okay, where, yeah, where, man, where do we start? Is there some place that just comes to mind out of out of those steps or even somewhere different? Yeah, no, certainly I would say, you know, the key here is if you've already purchased these tools or you brought them into your ecosystem, I would say go back and evaluate have you built in circuit breakers and exit rows, right? So if you've already done this, this is a good time for you to go back and proactively look for challenges or issues in that area. The reality is we are not giving consumers and patients good ways to give us feedback about those things. So once you implement that solution, those become a little hidden. So I would say proactively think about that if you've already put in some of these tools. If you have not put in these tools, really, again, I think the the most challenging thing is thinking about where to start. And again, my argument would be start with the idea of we're going to make our people better through the use of these tools. And eventually that will lead us to more automation, right? You can't think of it from a purely cost savings perspective from day one. I think you have to think of it from the perspective of how are we, how are we making the patient or consumer experience better? And eventually that will lead us to cost savings. But don't start from a cost saving mentality. We're going to come and automate stuff because that's going to save us some money. I love it. I want to thank you for joining me again. What's the best way for listeners who would like to connect with you or learn more about the work you do? You can certainly find me on LinkedIn. It's Matt and then last name Dixon, D-I-C-K-S-O-N. You can reach me directly, Matt at Eclipse-Telecom.com. And you can also find Eclipse Telecom on LinkedIn. There's a few out there. We're the ones that is headquartered in Chicago. So if you see a few out there on LinkedIn, that's really the easiest way to find us. And again, it is Eclipse-Telecom. Perfect. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. I've had the pleasure of speaking with Matt Dixon from Eclipse Telecommunications. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Jared. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again. Thank you.